0: And welcome once again to our midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim. It is great to be with you again today. Thanks for joining me. It's Wednesday, April 27th. Super excited to be continuing in our study of Philippians. Last week we talked about the joyful spirit Paul had even when in prison and facing possible death. And we are reminded how God can use even difficult circumstances to further his kingdom. Today, We're going to be studying another exciting part of this Philippian book, Philippians 1, verses 27 through the end of chapter 1, and then chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And we're going to see what Paul says about how a Christian should live and how that lifestyle is a witness to others of the gospel of Christ. What a great time we're going to have today. But as always, would you pause with me for a word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for the amazing opportunity we have to study your word together. Thank you for all that have come to listen and or watch. We're so grateful today. We thank you for all of this. To you be all honor and glory. Open our hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Fear is an obstacle that can stand in the way of fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Paul knew this as he encouraged the Philippians in verse 28 of the text. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies, he said. So let's begin with a few opening questions to see how we've experienced fear and encouragement in our lives. Here's the first question. What frightened you the most when you were in grade school? Maybe it was the monsters under your bed or in the closet. Maybe it was bullies at school or in the neighborhood. Perhaps the possibility of failing in school, sports, or some other performance. Maybe you were frightened the most by the opposite sex. Perhaps your parents' anger. Or maybe it was something else. What frightened you the most when you were in grade school? Well, what frightened me the most in those years was the dark. I grew up somehow learning to be afraid of the dark, and it terrified me, especially those moments when no one was around, you know, when you hear the creaks in the house or other kinds of sounds. And almost as terrifying as that, was the possibility of failing at anything. It didn't matter what it was. Second question. In the midst of your childhood fears, who was your biggest encourager? Was it a parent? Maybe a sibling? Maybe a grandparent? How about, was it a teacher? Or maybe it was a friend? In the midst of your childhood fears, who was your biggest encourager? Absolutely no question about it. My parents were my biggest encouragers, but I had some really close friends as I was growing up through childhood that also were great encouragers, but definitely most of all was my parents. You know, after thanking God for the Philippians and sharing with them how he was doing in prison, Paul goes on to discuss how they should be living their lives as Christians. He did this not as an interfering busybody. No, Paul didn't do that. He was interceding as a teacher who was concerned for his pupils. The Philippians were still young in faith, and many of them came out of a Greek culture that was less stringent in terms of behavior codes and expectations. He wanted to make sure that they lived a good witness to Jesus Christ, and he was wanting to teach them and reinforce in them how to do it. So let's read our text today, starting with Philippians 1, Verses 27 to 30, that'll bring us to the end of chapter 1. And then chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And while we're doing this, I want you to note how Paul talks about the importance of attitude and actions. Here we go. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen me struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Now Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Let's get to studying. Here's our opening study question. How do you generally feel when someone tries to tell you how to live your life? Maybe you get defensive. Maybe you feel cared for. Perhaps you might even feel rebellious maybe willing to learn, or it depends on who it is? How do you generally feel? Well, in a word, for me, defensive, but it also depends on who is doing the telling and their attitude, depending on exactly what is said and how it's said, I might come around to actually feeling like that person really meant it for my good, and I might be willing to learn as a result. I'm still a work in progress, folks. I don't get it right all the time with this at all. But it's is heading in a good direction, a positive direction, and I'm encouraged. Number two, take just a minute to read today's scripture passage again. Go back and read all those verses from Philippians 1, 27 to 30, and then chapter 2, 1 to 4. Just take a moment. You can pause this recording and then come back to the question, because here's the question at hand. If you had known nothing about Paul prior to reading this scripture passage, What is your impression about what you just read? Would you think maybe he's a little too controlling? Maybe he's sort of paternalistic, you know, like a dad or a father. Maybe you might think, well, hey, he's Mr. Positive. Or maybe he's very self-giving. What would your reaction be? If you had not even known anything about this scripture passage, what would your impression be about Paul? I would say after reading this, he's kind of paternalistic you know, watching out for the Philippians' needs and well-being like a father would, but he's also really positive and clearly extremely self-giving. Number three, in verse 27, Paul says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. The question I have for you is what does this mean? And what does the rest of verse 27 say that helps define this phrase. First of all, Paul felt confident that the Lord still had work for him to do, but he didn't know the outcome of the trial yet. But regardless, Paul wanted to encourage the Philippians that even though they were living in a Roman colony and had all the rights and privileges as Romans, they should not forget that they were citizens of another kingdom. Paul is making a play on the Philippians' dual citizenship, as it were. As such, they ought to live as citizens of heaven with all the responsibilities that entails. To live your life as a citizen of the good news about Christ means to represent Christ in all you say and do. The term worthy, or axios, pictures weighing something on the scales. The idea is that your manner of life should weigh as much as the gospel you claim to be committed to. So let's get specific. It's not enough to just learn the word. We must live the gospel out in every area of life, including our earthly citizenship. What type of citizen are you? Do you speak well of our president, our governor, and various political officials? Or are you critical of anyone who isn't as conservative as you are? Obviously, this will not open doors to the gospel. Are you a law-abiding citizen? Do you seek to have a positive attitude in your community, or are you a pessimistic doomsday soothsayer? Additionally, what type of spouse are you? Do your coworkers and neighbors see something different in your marriage? Do they come to you in the midst of their relational troubles? Do those who know you see you loving your kids and spending time with them while they're pulling out their hair and running away from their kids? Number four, verse 28 reads, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. So the question is about this verse, what is Paul saying, and who might be the enemies he's referring to? Paul had faced severe opposition in many cities, including Philippi. If he was persecuted for his faith, the Christians ought to expect similar treatment. Christianity's enemies included the Roman Empire, the pagan Philippian population, whom Paul had encountered, Acts 16, verses 16 to 24, and false teachers who had infiltrated many Christian circles and whom Paul blasted in many of his letters. The opposition the believers faced at the time and would face in the future gave them proof of two things. Number one, the destruction of their opponents And number two, the salvation of the believers. Amen. Number five, verse 29 reads, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Question, in this verse, verse 29, Paul speaks of believers suffering for Christ. What does he mean? Paul considered it a privilege to suffer for Christ. He wanted the believers in Philippi to understand that suffering persecution was not punishment for their sins, nor was it accidental, like somehow God had gotten sidetracked and forgotten to protect them. Instead, he wanted to let the believers know that suffering for the faith was to be considered a high honor, and I believe the same applies today. Number six, Paul continues in verse 30 and says, We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Question, what encouragement is Paul sharing with the Philippian believers? The Philippian believers had encouraged Paul through his suffering. Paul wanted to encourage them in the same manner. Paul had faced that struggle in Philippi on his first visit there. You can read about that in Acts 16, verses 12 and 19, also First Thessalonians 2, verse two. And he still faced it in his imprisonment. So he understood the Philippians were in a conflict with anyone who would discredit the saving message of Christ. And so all true believers are in this fight together, uniting against the same enemy for a common cause. Number seven, in chapter two, verse two, it reads, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Here's the question. Does Paul mean that we have to agree on every issue, and what kind of unity is important above all? Well, let's look at the first part of that question. Paul is not saying believers have to agree on everything or hold identical opinions or ideas. Rather, he's saying each believer should have the mind or attitude of Christ, and it involves not only one's mind, but one's feelings, attitudes, and will. Paul is calling for a far deeper form of unity than simple doctrinal agreement. Regarding the second question, Paul's thought here was the same as Philippians 1.27. The Holy Spirit should unite the believers into one body. As they stand firm in the Spirit, they overcome small differences and work toward one purpose, a common goal. And the church's goal was to spread the gospel a unified church is a strong fortress against any enemy. The very unity of the Philippian church would ensure that it could stand against any persecution or false teaching that might come its way. Number eight. Verse three reads, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Here's the question. What two things in this verse will destroy Christian community? First, Is the word selfish. This is the second time Paul has used this word. It means working to advance oneself without thought for others. The second is found in the phrase, don't try to impress others. Another word for this is conceit. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Translated literally, it means vain glory, which is asserting oneself over God who alone is worthy of true glory. This is the sort of person who will arrogantly say that he or she is right, even though what that person says or believes is false. This is a person who is solely concerned with personal prestige. And lastly today, number nine, verses three and four. They say, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Great words. Here's the question. What two attributes in these verses will keep a Christian community from selfishness and conceit? Well, first look at verse three. The first word is humility. This was not a virtue that was valued by the Greeks. They considered this to be the attitude of a slave. In the Old Testament, however, This was understood to be the proper attitude to hold before God. Christians are supposed to show this attitude to others as Christ has given to all people. Humility involved seeing others not on the basis of how clever, attractive, or pious they were, but through the eyes of Christ who died for them. The second attribute is found in verse 4, and it is selflessness. In other words, each believer should not be completely absorbed in his or her own affairs, but should also be interested in others, noting their good points and qualities. A cure for selfish ambition is appreciative recognition of others' good qualities, their walk with the Lord, for instance. We need Christ's attitude of self-sacrifice to look beyond ourselves to the needs of others. Amen to that. Well, that brings us to the end of our study for today. Here's a recap of what we talked about. Today, we looked at what Paul had to say about living a life worthy of the gospel, including having a spirit of attention to the interests of others. Now, I have an action step for you this week. In the coming week, ask the Holy Spirit to help you focus on the one goal of living your life for Jesus. Will you do that? I'll do it with you too. Next time, we're going to be studying Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and we'll consider how Christ gave us the greatest example of humility when he gave up equality with God and came to be part of this earthly life. You don't want to miss it. Until then, thanks for joining us today. Take care. Have a great week. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.